0: You're listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. I want to talk to you for a minute about my buddy Sam Morris and his leather work. He made me a cool leather journal cover. I use a Loystrom 1917 journal for most of my journaling and my time management, productivity issues, all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, carries my pencils and a field notes little pad. Uh, and he did a fantastic job. He got his start making uh, pastoral or teaching note cover, uh, notebooks. So they're made out of leather. Uh, pastors use them for their preaching notes. Professors use them for their teaching notes. Uh, and these things are high quality and they look fantastic. Now, here's the deal. You can only get him on Twitter. It's at Sam Morris 8 at S-A-M-O-R-R-I-S, numeral eight at Sam Morris eight on Twitter. Hit him up. He'll get in contact with you there and give you a quote uh, and you will not be disappointed in your leather work from Sam. Well, today's episode of uncommentary is very special. This is the 100th episode of this podcast a milestone I wasn't sure would ever be reached if you've been following along and listening uh, since the beginning, or even in the last year or so, you know how difficult it has been through some pandemic issues and some health issues to keep things going. But here we are on the other side, prayerfully, hopefully, and uh, we are ready to keep rolling with another 100 episodes. But before we get going with my guest today, Dr. Russell Moore, I want to give a few shout outs, first of all, of course, to my wonderful and lovely and patient, enduring wife, Sonia, who has so many times sat quietly in the house while I was uh, recording an interview and needed for there to be uh, not a lot of ambient noise. And she's been so grateful to do that and so encouraging along the way. Uh, I could not have done it without her. Uh, she has been a blessing from the Lord in this little endeavor on this corner of the uh, podcast world. I also need to thank uh, all of my financial backers, uh, all of you at Patreon who have been so diligent to allow a few dollars a month to be uh, given in support, uh, as well as you who have donated once uh, in one-offs, use uh, PayPal in order to do that, or sometimes venmo me money uh, to keep things going. I'm very, very grateful for you. If you would like to uh, participate in that particular endeavor I would strongly encourage you to do so and tell you how much I appreciate that endeavor Um, your generosity means the world to this podcast's existence you can go to patreon.com slash uncommentary and uh, sign up there for as little as four dollars a month and face it for most people four dollars a month isn't a lot if four dollars a month is a major sacrifice for you and I say this with all seriousness uh, please use it for yourself and your family but if you can get by with 4 or 5 or 10 or 20 dollars a month coming out and you really don't miss it then please go ahead and uh, sign up to be a patron for uh, Uncommentary. If you prefer to do a one off, uh, I will accept that as well and be very grateful for it. You can go to paypal.me/uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me/uncommentarypod. If you have a PayPal account, you can give from your balance there or use any credit or debit card that you would normally use with PayPal, and it will work just the same. I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Kevin Cruz. He's a professor of history at Princeton University. He was the very first guest on Uncommentary way, way back, about three years ago now. And if it was not for Kevin Cruz, there would be no Uncommentary because if he had not said yes to the very first invitation that I sent out, then I would not have gone any farther and I would have assumed there was no place for it, uh, in the world. So thanks Dr. Cruz for your saying yes, being generous with your time, uh, to allow this to get going. Uh, I want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, you'll notice there is a new, um, logo. Uh, in addition to that logo, there is soon coming a merch store. Yes, you heard that right. Uncommentary podcast will have its own merch store. Uh, Hopefully within just a few weeks of the time that this episode drops and I will make a big to do about it You can be guaranteed of that So without further ado and but with all of my thanks from the bottom of my heart And all glory to the lord who's allowed this to take place. Here is my conversation with dr. Russell moore Well, my guest today needs uh, no introduction for the majority of you. Uh, Some of you might not know him, but the vast majority of you will. Dr. Russell Moore. D, do you tell people what the D stands for? It's Dwayne. That's what I thought, but I wasn't going to say that because I was afraid it would be wrong and it would be like Dillinger or something like that. I'd be so far off. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and, and people do call you RDM you were just saying that sometimes your wife calls you that. And I was going to yes. ask, is that like in her mother voice? Like she's. Yes, I think that? so. I, <laughs> I think so. I think that's when it happened. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, you, you have been long associated with, uh, what we call evangelicalism. Uh, you've been a spokesperson within that sphere for a long time. I would even go so far to say that you, ha- you, whether intentionally or just by your presence, you actually interpret evangelicalism uh, for a significant amount of America and possibly uh, what American evangelicalism looks like to the rest of the world. So the subject today will be no uh, surprise to you. But first, I want to say, Dr. Russell Moore, welcome to Uncommentary.
1: Uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: So, um, we're going to be talking about evangelicalism, specifically the American context, but if you feel like you need to reference uh, outside of that to uh, world view, then that's fine as well. Um, but evangelicalism has fallen upon some hard shoals in the last couple of years in the U.S., mm-hmm. and it seems that there are... Uh, there's a wave of what I refer to as correction or uh, review. So you have a lot of historians and sociologists who are looking at the last 10, 15, 20 years and they're saying, okay, this is what I see. And books have been written about that. Then you have others, uh, and, and I will say it's sort of a reaction. I won't say it's a reactionary movement, but it's sort of a reaction to that. They're like, no, 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 you're attacking evangelicalism, or you're caricaturing evangelicalism. So um, with that kind of as the playing field, how do you see what's going on right now in the American context with evangelicalism?
1: I, I see it as apocalyptic in, mm-hmm. in the sense of uh, revelatory. And uh, th- there was a uh, screenwriter I saw uh, recently being interviewed about two kinds of apocalypse movies. Mm-hmm. He said there are stop the apocalypse movies. Uh, the asteroid is headed to Earth. You've got to stop it. Right. And then there are survive the apocalypse uh, movies where you're you're trekking through the dystopian right. landscape. World War Z. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and and my thought as I was reading that is yes, but of course, if you're a Christian, an apocalypse is not. Always bad, right? And uh, at least with a capital A. And so I think that the the literal uh, apocalypse, the seeing behind the veil, and the and the reality uh, that's there, both in terms of God's glory and in terms of just awful stuff, mm. is what's happening right now. And so I think that there is a a kind of great disillusionment. Um, which i understand and i mm-hmm. i will say often to friends that i'm really glad you know the the, the song I, I i wish i didn't know then what i did i wish i didn't know now what i didn't know then
0: is that, uh, one, of those, is that it, one of them their country music songs
1: yeah it is <laughs> uh and and it's uh, it's it's sort of a I, i'm really glad that i didn't see up close some of the things that i saw later at mm-hmm. an earlier place in my christian life or or i don't I just can't imagine that i would have uh, would have uh, been a christian after that so yeah. i understand that so i think there's a time of disillusionment the question is going to be where that disillusionment goes does it mm-hmm. go to uh cynicism or does it go toward reform and and i guess that remains to be seen
0: so on that note um Mark Knoll just, or I guess not Mark Knoll personally, but, uh, Erdman's just reissued Mark Knoll's, uh, scandal of the evangelical mind, a 25th anniversary edition. And, um, I picked it up. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I have picked it up. I did read the forward and the afterward, which I think is the bulk of the new material that was, uh, that was included, but I turned it over. Uh, and I, and I realized that authors don't always go out and seek the people who are going to endorse their book. Uh, but the endorsements on the back, are not exactly who I would have anticipated the original book uh, being endorsed by. Uh, Of course, uh, Kristen Dumay might not have been out of uh, elementary school when the original book came Mm -hmm. out, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Anthea Butler and Heath Carter um, are not the names that I would have expected to see uh, on the back. Uh, In his book, Evangelicals, with uh, Bebbington and Marsden, Mark Knoll all edited, the contributors to that, are not people that I think would have been contributors to that kind of a volume 25 years ago. Do you see that there is, uh, I mean, I hate to use the we and them type of thing or one side yeah. and the other and, you know, that kind of thing, but there, it's hard to get beyond what it looks like. Um, I mean, you, you say apocalyptic. Do you see a, a literal Philosophical divide that winds up with two types of evangelicalism, like multiple denominations have split
1: well i think I think what we see right now is again not so much a new reality as uh, a, a realization of a reality that has been uh, at least um, coming into existence for some mm-hmm. time, and so it 's similar to David Frum was talking in a very different context about political alliances. And you you just Mm -hmm. look around and you see all of these political institutions and alliances that are just completely uh, bizarre. I mean, I I was trying to imagine um, saying to myself, I was telling someone, trying to imagine saying to myself, you know, in 2007 that uh, someone attacking Roseanne Barr would be considered a liberal for doing so. You know, th- that that sort of thing. And what, what Frum said is that what's happened is there's a uh, revealed preference mm-hmm. where what you find out is that often you assume that you're in this alliance and that you're all thinking the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. not just in terms of the outcome, but also the motivations and the intuitions and all of that. And then something happens where you realize, oh, wait a minute, we actually were... We actually were motivated, be, motivated by very different things. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of, uh, uh, there's this shaking up where people realize the, the old alliances weren't really real um, in, in the sense of, uh, of durable and, and, mm-hmm. and with integrity, and there are new alliances being formed. I'm not worried about that. I mean, there, there, there are many people who, I mean, I'm worried about it in the sense that there's a lot of Pain that goes along mm-hmm. with that, but in terms of um, there are a lot of people who are worried about fragmentation, the fragmentation of evangelicalism, and you know I, I was uh, I was talking to Jonathan Haidt, the social psychologist, uh, not long ago about his essay on the fragmentation of American life mm-hmm. that he compared to the Tower of Babel, um, and I said the only problem I have with this is that. You're not including here that the the fragmentation at the Tower of Babel wasn't the problem. God did that. That mm-hmm. the problem was the unity, right? <laughs> uh, it was it was a unity that was directed toward the wrong thing, and right. so in order to come to the right kind of unity, God has to fragment the mm-hmm. the false unity. And we've seen that before. I mean, you you think about it's really easy to I mean, right over my shoulder, I have bobbleheads of Billy Graham and Martin Luther King um and, and if you go back and you look at um yeah, everyone reveres both of them now mm-hmm. uh almost everyone but if you go back and and you look at the <laughs> the way that they were perceived at the time very very different and and, uh, and in a very similar way Billy Graham had uh both a fundamentalist movement mm-hmm. uh calling him a sellout and a liberal and a mainline Protestant movement that saw him as a a fundamentalist throwback. Mm -hmm. And he really uh, didn't, at least in his best moments, he really didn't try to recapture the soul of Mm. um, either of those things. He just said, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. So there was a fragmentation, but it was a fragmentation that led to a greater unity, at least for a Mm -hmm. a long while. I think that's what's what's happening.
0: You bring up Graham, um, and I think he's a good test case for what we're talking about actually um through the later years of his life when he was still doing crusades i mean he was still like the most popular man in america in people magazine for crying out loud i mean nobody could be thrown him for being the most popular guy in america right and then later in his life and not like hit pieces but even biographical stuff i remember one large biography that he was like he told the writer just tell the truth whatever you find just Mm -hmm. tell the truth." Um and so now there are multiple biographies that look at different aspects of his life and ministry. And I've yet to find one that's like, you know, Billy Graham was awful. He was, uh, right. he was a fake, he was a fraud, none of that right. kind of stuff. Right. But there, there is a, an evaluation, let's say, of, spe- and I think specifically his involvement in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always, you know, could he have done more on the racial side of things to mm-hmm. work with Dr. King? There's always that side, but even Dr. King appreciated him to some degree. So, yeah. I think that's the lesser thing, but the political, uh, even, uh, I guess NPR or PBS, uh, produced a two hour documentary. I think it was not even six months ago. Uh, and a lot of it dealt with the political side of Graham's ministry. And so, um, when we look back at whether it's Darren Dochik or whether it's another writer who has, um, evaluated Graham's life in ministry, I think now we see that type of historical evaluation broadening beyond Graham to the entire Mm -hmm. evangelical movement and what is happening here. Now, Mm -hmm. the thing I want to ask you about related to historians and sociologists is a lot of these books that are coming out, the the easiest one to reference is Jesus and John Wayne because it made the biggest splash. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want to say to Kristen DeMay, if she's listening, that please remember that you were on my podcast before your book made the New York times bestseller <laughs> list. So I, you know, I just want you to remember that. Um, but these historical, so, I, I mean, I have on my, my uh, desk right here, uh, the global mission of the Jim Crow South, uh, the shaping of Latin American evangelicalism. Um, I have, um, a book by um, David Kilpatrick or Kirkpatrick on the gospel for the poor, which features Re- Renee Padilla and others from Latin America and how they viewed American evangelicalism. Um, is this a learning moment for evangelicals? Is this an opportunity for us to read a bunch of books and say, okay, well, these are the unintended or the unexpected consequences of things that we did that had good faith efforts, we were pursuing God. We believed that we were doing the right things, but there were some things that happened ancillary, or maybe even primary, uh, offspring to this that we need to own. Is that is is, is that something we need to be talking about? Yes, and, and I mean, go
1: go back to the analogy of Graham. I mean, the the good thing uh, here about Graham, even at his worst moments. Is that there was in the spectrum of his life at least an attempt to process and to and, and to rework those things? So mm-hmm. you think about the the depth of the of the political sort of captivity that Graham had with Nixon. Mm-hmm. He fully recognized that uh, after what he perceived, and I think perceived rightly, as the humiliation of all of that. Mm. And if you then look and you compare Graham over the sweep of his life with what we know as evangelicalism now, Mm -hmm. uh, or what we've known as mainline Protestantism, the surprising thing about Graham is not that he's so political, but that he's not. Mm. I mean, so this is somebody who uh, would, for instance, be, be willing to sit down and counsel with Richard Nixon and with Bill Clinton, Mm-hmm, you're and right. <laughs> to pray at an inauguration for uh, either of both of them, right? That would not happen mm-hmm. in um, in in this context on either the left or the right. And so Graham was was uh, attempting to do that, and and so I think that 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 um, what you're not going to have is an evangelical movement or any other movement. That's going to say yes, turn turns turns around we, we look back and we see that everything that we that we were doing was um, good or mm-hmm. or 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 that everything we were doing is was bad, and therefore we need to just walk away from it all mm-hmm. in some cases that that may be the case, but in many other cases what you're doing is you're looking back and you're saying it's more complicated sometimes, and it would be easier if what what one could do is to look back and to say, here are the good guys in any given movement who did who did everything uh, correctly or most mm-hmm. things correctly, and here are the bad guys who didn't. In reality, often what you're having to do is to go back and to say, uh, you mentioned people who out of good faith efforts were doing things that had unintention- unintended consequences. Sometimes you have those people along with people who have bad faith uh, efforts right. with exactly the intended consequences, right. and they don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and so then you see that, and you reevaluate it, and you say, "Now, wait a minute." And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, at, at this moment right now, you're having a lot of people who are stepping back and saying, "No, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, what was I doing? What was I giving my life to?" And how in seeing this now do I see something that's different? Sometimes even people who on a particular issue or something haven't changed their minds about that, but they've sure changed the way they see it in mm-hmm. terms of the rank of priority. I mean, those are the sorts of things I think are going on right now, and we'll, we'll just take some time uh, to work through it.
0: You're listening to Uncommentary. This is Marty Duran, and I'm in conversation with uh, Dr. Russell Moore, and we'll be back right after this. So what does it take to keep Uncommentary on the air? Uh, Technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, There's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. And there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room in their home. Uh, It's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one time gift. Um, But the reality is it doesn't take a lot and uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, If you'd rather do a one time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentary pod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentary pod or patreon is monthly and these are uh, auto drafts so you don't have to write checks you don't have to worry about it you don't have to go back to the website uh, the two dollars is gone the three dollars is gone and really uh, you never miss it so that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well and now back to this week's episode well in a former life um oh by the way Did you think that there was any chance around the year 2004, 5, 6, 7 that Marty Dern and Russell Moore would be talking together on a podcast? There
1: there are so many things in the era of 2004, (laughs) 5, 6 that uh, I would never have foreseen.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so um, in a previous uh, position, previous job that I held, um, one of the things that I was uh, attached to, I didn't do it, but I was attached to it being done, was kind of this, um, I won't say redefining of evangelicalism, but it was kind of redefining the questions or clarifying the questions that are asked in surveys to kind of determine whether someone is an evangelical. So they're it has to do with believing the Bible and the resurrection and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But they don't ask, do you consider yourself an evangelical? Mm-hmm. So we, we know from conversations that have happened, especially over the last couple of years, that there's a significant portion, for instance, of the African-American Christian community that don't like that phrase at all. They would never mm-hmm. self-identify as an evangelical, even mm-hmm. if they answered all of those questions. And technically, according to whoever's keeping the records, they fall into the uh, quadrant of evangelical. So my question is, regarding that type of uh, scenario where the questions are designed to determine an outcome that people would not be comfortable with themselves, doesn't that give some credibility to the criticism that evangelicalism is really about politics and political power?
1: Well, it can be if what you're if what one is attempting to do is to say. Um, here, here we have 40 million evangelical Christians in, in this country, and therefore you should you should pay attention to the. I mean, I, I remember, I laugh about it all the time uh, about a meeting that I was having um, at, at the White House back uh, years ago over issue of uh, immigration. I think it was mm-hmm. at the time, and this was after the meeting, and Joe Biden said. You know, what, what you should do is there are, what, 40 million evangelicals in this country, uh, have them, uh, have, have every one of them uh, as possible call their member of Congress and, and this will get done. To which uh, Barack Obama, who's standing there, said, Joe, if he could get 40 million evangelicals to call their member of Congress tomorrow, we wouldn't be here. And and we all laughed. I mean, but but that's uh, there is a sense where for a long time evangelicalism and then specific denominations within evangelicalism, the the counting of these numbers have been about saying you know pay attention to us because Mm -hmm. we're big. That Mm -hmm. that I think has had really destructive uh, influences on us uh, in in multiple ways. But in terms of simply saying. Sociologically, we're trying to identify who fits in this category beyond self-identification. I think that that is necessary, because mm-hmm. it's not just that you're going to have uh, specific uh, uh, families of churches that wouldn't consider themselves evangelical. Really, in, in, in many uh, sectors, I mean, I think of uh, my home church, no one would have uh, really even ever said or maybe even recognized uh, the word evangelical. Mm. If you said to them, uh, what's your religion? They would have said Christian, Baptist, something like that, Bible mm-hmm. believer, born again, maybe, but they wouldn't have said evangelical. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't be categorized if someone's right. coming in and saying, well, you know, who are uh, evangelicals here? So I think that there's, it really just depends on how those sorts of studies are being uh, used. And to say there's a certain amorphous uh, there's a certain amorphous sort of uh, reality uh, mm-hmm. to those terms, so that what what you have right now is there are going to be some people who will say well this um, this idea of evangelicalism as this set of doctrinal beliefs that 's not what it is really mm-hmm. it 's a cultural um, uh, reality and and there's some people who will say. You know, it's not in saying whether or not somebody's an evangelical. You're not going to get it by finding out what they think about the atonement. You're going to get it as to whether or not they know what Veggie is, or yeah, you know th- yeah. th- those sorts of uh, those sorts of things. Well, in reality, it's it's both of those things, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that what some people are objecting to when they're objecting to say uh, Bebington's quadrilateral. Is to say, well, that's what uh, that—that's a way to say that evangelicalism is above the fray of all the cultural rot uh, that we're seeing. Well, actually, mm-hmm. it's not. It's telling you, even when the cultural rot is there, how it is. So, if you look at, for instance, at, at the um, the Reformation critique of the medieval church. Mm-hmm. Um, is the problem a doctrine of purgatory and justification, or is the problem a church that is selling indulgences in order to mm-hmm. exploit the people? It's both. But how are they exploiting the people? They can't exploit the people if they if they don't have a belief in purgatory. You, see, right. you, you can't say, give your indulgences if people don't believe right. that. And so it's yeah. both of those things. That makes it a little more complex.
0: So I want to zoom out a little bit and uh, kind of look from a global perspective, um, The recent um, critiques of evangelicalism on the American side and from Americans, uh, I think maybe have caught some folks by surprise, Um, but the critique of American evangelicalism from the broader global perspective isn't new. Um, I, I mean, I'm not a historian of evangelicalism, but it goes back at least to 1975, um, when they were planning Lausanne, I don't know how to say that word, but that's my guess. That's I, it, I feel yeah. like I should say mm-hmm. it like Sebastian the Crab from uh, The Little Mermaid. Lausanne. <Luzon. laughs> um, when uh, when they were planning, and and Graham was involved, and John Stott was involved, and mm-hmm. they began to get this pushback from the global evangelical community that how they had portrayed the primary emphases um, reflected a North American or at least a Western view rather than a global view. And it led to some substantial changes and Stott, I think, had like a personal revival and, uh, really, yeah. um, took some, took some things away from that that changed his ministry. Um, are we in the same predicament today? Do, do, do evangelicals around the world look at America and say, what is wrong with you people? Yeah,
1: yeah. As a matter of fact, it's rare that I don't hear in a given week from someone um, in some other uh, context around the world saying, "What is going on? What? Why is this? Uh, why are the Americans doing what they're doing?" Uh, and I think that that's that's maybe an intensification of a reality that's always been there. So mm-hmm. yes, I do think that that's the case. But I think that the difference now is that I'm seeing that um the way that and it works both ways i mean i i was in london a couple of years ago and talking to a group of people and just expressing uh, because many of them had been or were members at all souls uh, church mm-hmm. and just expressing how john stott has had such a, a shaping Uh, influence on my life and how I just thank God for him and was essentially thanking them uh, Mm -hmm. because I couldn't thank him. Thank him, yeah. Yeah, and someone stood up and said, I want everyone in this room who is a Christian because you or a family member or someone who led you to Christ came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade, and it was at least half the room. Wow, Uh, And and so I think that there's this this back and forth, and I Mm -hmm. think that that's easier now in some ways than it would have been before. Because if you look, for instance, at campus ministries Mm -hmm. uh, on almost any uh, college campus, where is the vitality and the leadership that's coming in almost every campus ministry that I know? Uh, It's from uh, either... Uh, either uh, students from abroad, Christian students who are studying there, or mm-hmm. first or second generation immigrants. Wow! And so you have a you have a uh, almost the the sort of thing that previously in many cases you would have had to have had a lausanne or or some sort of some sort of global gathering mm-hmm. that's happening uh, more and more in, in other contexts, and I think that's for the
0: good. That's really interesting. So you're at CT now and you have a newsletter. You call it a newsletter, your email that goes out. Is that right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, how can people subscribe to that?
1: Uh, they can uh, just go to russellmoore.com and sign up there, or they can go to uh, CT and, and sign up there as well.
0: And on Twitter, you're at Dr. Moore, which was a pretty brilliant thing. You must've gotten on like super early. To, uh, you know snag what ha-
1: what happened was uh in about two thousand eight uh one of my interns at the time says, hey, by the way, I signed you up for a twitter account <laughs> and uh so that's how that
0: happened <laughs> <laughs> that's been and he was afraid to use your full name because he's afraid he'd get in trouble right
1: well there there is a an at Russell Moore who is a an Irish guy and you know bless his heart every once in a while uh, i would see hammered. him saying please stop sending me all these hate <laughs> at replies people <laughs> i didn't do it
0: <laughs> that is fantastic and then uh name your uh last couple of books so people can know to be on the lookout for those uh,
1: i'm writing a book right now that i'm in the in on the downward slope of finishing Uh, here in the next few weeks. It'll come out uh, next year. Uh, My last book was The Courage to Stand about the life of Elijah and how that Mm -hmm. uh, affects uh, fear. And then before that was The Storm Tossed Family, uh, which is about family life and, and the pain that can come with family life in various ways.
0: Yeah. Well, all right. This has been awesome. Thanks, Dr. Moore, for hanging out. Thanks for having me. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Pod. Please rate and review, and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uncom- uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the, uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Soledad Gloria. This is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast.